0: Storage and integrated edge solutions can bring new flexibility and resiliency to our energy systems. So much depends now on FERC 2x4. How to move forward? Listen in to this episode of Grid Forward Chats. Grid Forward Chats is hosted by Grid Forward Executive Director Bryce Yonker.
1: Welcome to the next episode of Grid Forward Chats. We're excited to have our second season underway. And today we have with us Ryan Mortina. He is VP of Strategy for Q Cells, And they've had some recent exciting activity, which he will get into. So Ryan, thanks for being on with us today. Bryce, thank you for uh, having, having me on today. So Ryan, can you tell us a little bit about your role there at QCELLS? What are you tackling, and uh, maybe you can share a little bit about the exciting news and activity that that has unfolded there over these recent weeks? Yeah, uh, ab-
2: absolutely, uh, Bryce. Um, I'm super excited. Uh, Hanwha Q Cells uh, acquired uh, the company that Chris Wagner and I founded back in 2010, Jelly, a uh, software company to do uh, Internet of Energy and really uh, energy storage uh, soft design and automation software. And uh, it's been super exciting to kind of join the Hanwha QCells team um, to really kind of like, you know, build upon uh, the great company that they've, they've built over the past you know, decade or more with QCells and uh, to you know, really expand um, the services from just solar panels to solar panels and batteries and all the other necessary services to really uh, enable uh, a growing industry.
1: Well, Ryan, congratulations. It's always really exciting to see major milestones with the industry. I don't know that we'll call it an exit, but, but just congratulations for that next chapter. Um, so today is Monday, February 15th. Before we kind of jump in, I know a lot has happened in the recent weeks and, and in the last year. Uh, how are you and how is the team there doing? How are you guys faring amongst all of the, the crazy dynamics that, are, that, that have been out there these, this last year?
2: Yeah, it's been really interesting uh, to go ahead and go through um, the sale, and I'll call it an exit of Jelly uh, to Hanwa during the COVID uh, crisis. I think it's been difficult with everyone, uh, but we're a highly digital uh, company. Uh, you know, we've been practicing uh, commissioning uh, energy storage systems all over the world uh, remotely uh, for you know, really the past decade. So I think the, the nature of our work, um, you know, is... Moving forward, I think there's a we've been going through this very interesting process of integrating um, our companies um, over these past uh, number of months now, and really adapting to this uh, new virtual environment. And you know, we're doubling down on digital communications and marketing, and that really goes hand in hand with the whole push towards uh, energy services and more things that we can do for our customers, and really. Uh, I'm super excited again because, like, while uh, COVID has been, uh, you know, detrimental to a lot of businesses, kind of what's emerging on the other side from you know green new deals and the renewable promise to kind of get the world, or at least the United States, uh, to you know high penetration renewables uh, by you know 2030s is a very exciting um, uh, development for us. So I think it's uh, all systems go.
1: It's been fascinating to hear about the evolution of the narrow, somewhat narrow, or certainly focused role that Jelly had to uh, optimize the connectivity of uh, commercial scale and other storage systems to the, to the grid. Can you talk a little bit about the evolution of the organization there? What's the strategy that you're looking to bring forward uh, in the next chapter of, of the organization? You know, in this next
2: chapter, you know, I think we can start looking at uh, the six million commercial industrial facilities in the United States, and how do we address those? You know, how do we uh, right size uh, solar and energy storage uh, with the right applications, which may be different tomorrow than they are today? Um, you know, how do we provide enough services uh, to make that job for that solar developer um, easy enough uh, to sell? Uh, how do we provide tools for those developers to sell 10 times more than they're doing today because we need to kind of move this forward fast. So that solar developer's role is not just evolving to be energy storage, but also for microgrid, also for EV charging. And then the customers are asking, what about grid services? what about distribution programs that they can participate in these are all things that we're really kind of bringing to the front as services from uh, asset management to grid services to full you know solar energy storage software packages for our developer partners you know that's just super exciting and we need to execute uh, on that and we are you know i think that's what you're seeing uh, what's also super cool is that uh hanwa also has secure home It's a really wonderful, uh, modular, uh, scalable in both power and energy uh, residential home product, right? And that's just now being released uh, here in the United States. That's been sold in uh, Japan, oh, sorry, in Australia and Germany uh, in thousands of units now. And uh, we have the ability to deploy those and, you know, you can do virtual power plants as necessary. Looking at focusing on commercial, really kind of like enabling solar developers to sell their uh, also be able to bring uh, you know, residential and virtual power plants uh, into at least pilots uh, to really work with utilities and operators to uh, you know, see what can they do? How can they plan for 100% DER and 100% renewable with energy storage out there for them? Like, that's a really um, you know, important task and that's what I'm going to be doing over the next you know couple of years. Is really just kind of working on that. Um, I think there's also a number of, you know, large-scale front-of-the-meter project. Our Hanwha q America uh, focus, um, you know, I think we're going to be supporting as much as we can more larger-scale projects. And I think that's exactly what utilities and, you know, regional operators really need the capabilities. You know, can we help with residential and commercial and large-scale and EV? That becomes requirement. You know, we want to be able to help not just sell hardware, but software and any type of services to really enable. And I know that's a mouthful, right? <laughs> but that's what needs to be done. And again, like with Jelly, you know, we uh, we envision this. I'm just gonna reach over here and grab our, our first issued patent titled Adaptive Energy Storage Operating System for Multiple Economic Services. Right? That idea that you know a battery can be a hard drive of energy. Right? It's not just like a generator and a one Trick pony, it can be used to do multiple things to multiplex, and you know we kind of like you know really kind of you know cut our teeth on being able to optimize you know tariffs mm-hmm. you know demand charge management the very short duration high value and time of use energy shifting. How do you do both of those? How do you do real time and day ahead to co-optimize that? But no one really does that. No one actually does the global optimization yet. So there's still plenty of frontier. And business models uh, that are going to emerge, and it's been just really great. I pulled that reference because we saw that a battery uh, that may be a behind-the-meter asset may participate in, you know, helping, you know, lower the customer's uh, bill, uh, may help the distribution system, may help the market, all in multiple ways. You know,
1: all of a sudden, you have at least six things you might be doing, and uh, and multiple parties too let me ask you a little bit about the customer side of this equation so so you all have really gotten a a, a chance to understand the commercial industrial deployments of battery systems and how to optimize and integrate those uh, those customers coming on the you know the the heels of this pandemic are obviously very significantly impacted what sort of near term opportunities do you see within the cni space uh, for them given given the implications that they're going to have you know maybe a, a long recovery ahead from the economic uh, fallout of the pandemic and everything associated to it. That's
2: a great that's a great question. Um you know I'm I'm super thankful to our federal government for the recovery uh, work I'm super thankful to the new administration for uh, making commitments to converting, you know, government buildings and government vehicles uh, wow. over to renewables and electric. You know, that's that's huge. You know, we've also been seeing more, um, you know, power outages here in California. We're expecting to have you know power safety shutoffs for the next ten years. That could be, you know, so for the companies that are surviving uh, and need need to keep on going, like being out for one to four days, has actually been very uh, detrimental uh, to operations. Um, And this is all happening right at the time when solar and battery are just like, you know, really challenging generators and UPSs too, as backup mechanisms, Um, just as we're getting that, the pricing down and getting the developers, uh, you know, knowledgeable enough to be able to help sell these systems too. So a majority of the projects that we're seeing uh, in, california um, are you know resiliency and backup
1: yeah projects yeah. which are
2: expanding the number of hours it's going to expand the lifetime of the system it gives it more optionality to to do things i gives it
1: more opportunity to, you know it's it's a really interesting scenario so on resiliency august was intense in california with the capacity kind of issues september across the west with with wildfires you know i'm looking at out my door here now i know you know, a couple hundred thousand of my neighbors are, are out from a prolonged uh, outage from this ice event. And it just seems that the frequency and the duration and the impact to the disruptions, they seem to be accelerating. What role do you see that the grid can play to maintain, you know, higher uptime, higher reliability, better stability what solutions are we really going to be looking at over these next couple of years to, to harden our systems?
2: Well, you know, I, I, start, I saw the model start, uh, start in Australia where the utilities and the network operators were starting to really look at generator and solar, gener- solar battery generator microgrids to serve far distant customers. Um, and that was just more of a trade off of building out distribution lines so and i i see that pg is also starting to look at this and it's a real interesting question i mean like the real only way to do resiliency you know is to do some type of behind the meter asset Uh, but typically utilities did not put anything that stopped right at the at the meter right not to accept that liability so i think like having really good like you know public private partnerships or utility approved programs for systems or what massachusetts is working to do on right-sizing resiliency, time-based resiliency models for building types. You know, I think these are all, you know, super important. And I think the other side of resiliency uh, is that, you know, you can't just sell a microgrid, right? It really needs to be operated and make sure it's there. The customer is, is buying a level of resiliency, right? And so I think the utility can do a great job in kind of like making sure that those are there and working and even for uh, servicing, you know, how do you design it? How do you finance it? Who owns it Um, are all super important questions. But I think there's a lot of companies emerging to go ahead and put those assets
1: in place and make them available. So can we pivot a little bit over to a discussion around decarbonization? You know, the wider region doesn't seem to have slowed at all with the commitment to Drive towards a increasingly decarbonized energy system, and you know now there's the dialogue happening at the federal level um, to reach uh, a fully decarbonized energy grid uh, by 2035. What is this going to look like? What 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 are the key building blocks of getting there? Going to need to get accelerated in these next couple of years so that this can be a successful uh, a successful path ahead. Start from big to small. Okay.
2: So right now we see um, utility-scale solar going huge, 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 huge. I mean, like, are we going to see under a cent, <laughs> you know, for some <laughs> fifty PPAs? Jeez Louise. But, um, you know, but that's, you know, do we also need to have, you know, 10 hours of capacity there, right, to be a real power plant?
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: that's, that's where we're going, right? Like, what's a re- real renewable power plant? Um, and so that's also a major change. Right. And so solar developers and large-scale solar developers are figuring out the difference between AC and DC coupled systems and, you know, how much regulation is needed and, you know, what services are now kind of, you know, morphing into not just like PPA developer owner operators, but, you know, power plant owner operators that are doing, you know, agreeing to an energy contract and a, a dispatch, a capacity contract, therefore they're for a resource adequacy for a utility or a
1: CCA. What does it look like to firm that resource? I mean, it, you're not just relying on advanced forecasting. How are, you getting, how are they getting there?
2: Forecasting, maybe you know, it's a big DC coupled system. The AC grid is never really exposed to this, hmm. right? So you may have a you know, 100 megawatt AC port with a, you know, a gigawatt or you know, 300 megawatt of solar and you know, 900 megawatt hour battery. Hmm. You can totally firm that 100 megawatt AC output many hours a day. Okay. Right, and you know that's that's been the real kind of issue. And we we'll kind of move on from this it's traditionally at large at for large scale solar, you have like you know eight to fifteen or seventeen percent capacity factor, and it's really hard for a distribution system operator um, to really build a firm you know loading order based on that. Right, like how many seventeen percent capacity factor systems do I need to give me one hundred percent? And well, either right, and so I think we're going to really see a push towards, you know, yes, bigger solar, but bigger solar and storage together. Mm. And we're going to have renewable power plants, and we could build civilizations on, you know, one hundred percent capacity factor renewable power plants. Now, that doesn't change uh, what's going on inside the distribution system, right? Uh, the pipes are too narrow. If we're going to have up to you know, EV charging and up to three X load at the edge. You know, that's, that's an issue. And there's just also not enough area to always put enough solar there. So batteries and electric vehicles um, will likely look good. And, you know, all of a sudden there's going to be, you know, a dozen or two dozen companies in any local uh, geo that is looking to provide uh, you know, a low-cost, financed, fully-serviced solar battery the meter digital energy service.
1: Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about the load forecast that you'd mentioned there? So... Not every place is, is Austin or Boise. <laughs> you know, sure. load growth has been pretty anemic and yes, the promise of of transportation electrification is coming, but everything that you're seeing, is that the next five years or is that more midterm where the load growth really starts to come in and and then distribution systems have to deal with that? I
2: think that this is all I think the transition that happens over the next ten years. Yeah. Um, and, you know, reports out there also say that we can actually hit this in like, you know, we can decarbonize our grid system in, like, five years. But that would be – there's no way for a 10-year long-term procurement program by utility to keep up with that. Right? And that's an issue. I mean, like, so GM comes out of Super Bowls, like, all electrified, yeah. right? Like, I'm tracking 20 looking at my own battery manufacturers and I expect that they're the next two or three years there will be a hundred
1: on, on the table to be built over the next five years. So so what you're saying is market activity as in the actual deployments or the actual customer behavior is Changes. outpacing the, the rate by which distribution system planning is able to accommodate it. Now we're within the 10 year window. Yeah. Yeah. What what does it look like for that distribution system plan to try to keep pace?
2: Well, that's you know this actually leads us into the conversation I was looking forward to here today with you. Is like yeah. the uh, you know the eight obstacles to
1: FERC two 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 two. Okay, well let's go there. There's the recent order federal level for two x four that that I think a lot of community a lot of industry stakeholders have really been pretty excited about. But you you and I were talking that you think it really you know leads itself. To some, some significant questions, so maybe you can outline, you know, the sort of obstacles that you think need to get overcome to, to have FERC Order Two by Four be successful. Yeah, thanks, Bryce. In the terms
2: of kind of like you know how we work our way through here, I think FERC Two by Four um, is super great, right? It kind of really plays into letting that behind the meter asset uh, participate in markets and you know help the distribution system. Wonderful. Right? And now I think we're starting to see that people are, are you know, groups are seeing that there, there's some obstacles to implementing it. Uh, some places say that they have allowed it and implemented it. Well, it might only be for, you know, resource adequacy or demand response or some limited capability. But um, let's really kind of go through it. First, will there be a new tariff? There has to be a new tariff. You know, this, there's a lot of issues. We, we did a frequency regulation project in the uh, and uh, it was behind the meter and uh, it was sometimes doing frequency regulation and other times it was doing things for the facility well how did we make sure that we weren't using energy from the market to run the facility right so that was like all of a sudden you're like oh wait a second i probably need a new tariff Hmm. so let's get an example of what this new FERC 222 tariff looks like and let's get everyone to discuss it and let's pilot that first and i know that's coming but now that really starts to you know, unravel a lot of other things, okay. like what happens to net energy meter? What happens to PV? Can I also do PV out and export that out to the grid? And do I get a fixed rate
0: value for that, or is
2: that a real time market value? What is it? That's really hard. I have a feeling that with for those who you know take for two by four for market participation, think you may have to give up NEM can't get paid twice for that. So, you know, I think that's a real issue. And so that's going to put a real thorn in the side of solar only developers who want to kind of, you know, utilize this. Um, And, you know, what it also says is like, well, you need to put a battery in with that and have uh, some intelligent software to optimize it as it it goes along. So uh, then the next question is, you know, will uh, FERC 2x4 DER systems, will they be able to export to the grid? Right? A lot of DR programs would say, okay, you do as much, but you can only, you just can't push out, right? And there's good reason for that because there's no low voltage distribution. We'll get to that point here in a moment. So again, what happens, what happens to them? And can we export to the grid?
0: Pardon this quick interruption. Do you like the in-depth interviews on Grid Forward Chats? Subscribe to our channel on Apple, Google, Spotify, or Podbeam apps. That way you don't miss a single chat and learn more about Grid Forward at gridforward.org. Now, back to the show.
2: Now, next, three, baselining. Please, let's make baselining go away. Baselining is a multi-day average, sometimes adjusted by weather. Baselining came in when we wanted to have demand-side assets uh, participate, but we didn't really have enough metering capability to know what they did. Baselining is bad averaging for systems that want to Participate in more kind of real time things. It's really hard to optimize against this. Space. Next one. Where are the DERs metered? Right? Will digital sub metering be allowed? I mean, like if I have five different things behind my main service meter that can participate, can those sub metered? Or is it going to require the whole site to be a, a whole site resource? And then I have multiple operators in there kind of doing, you know, Nest doing some thermostat DR. And, someone else doing something with an EV? Hmm, that gets messy. Is it going to be individual asset? If so, what's the metering? Because we've never really had official sub metering and can it not be expensive, right? Because like adding more meters is always a project killer. Now we've had a number of great examples. I don't mean to be so down on, but I just want to kind of bring up these previous points because like, you know, New York has done a great job at, you know, developing their VETER program. You know, very much NEM-like, very much like market operations, but kind of protected, um, not with recourse, um, and, you know, really to help the system. So I think the VDR is a very interesting framework. And even here in California, we are now optimizing according to the GHG of the CAISO. Even if we're, you know, using our, using our own solar that we generated, we're still working to optimize that, right? So that's, an, that's a first-level effort to coordinate uh, some value, um, you know, of a behind-the-meter asset with a kind of the market uh, objective being greenhouse gases. You know, we're not just talking about market products like day-ahead, real-time, ancillary services that we want operating, But what about the distribution programs? Really, where that gets into is like all oh, the smart inverter functionalities. Will it be on by default? Will systems get paid for turning it on and helping stabilize the local distribution system? If I, if if, if our commercial systems have to turn it on and are responsible for you know firming voltage or frequency, that costs DC kilowatt hours that we're going to go to uh, doing other things to help optimize the bill, right? And so that would be nice to be clarified and then let's say we get through some of these then the some real interesting things that we started seeing in happening in australia is what's the capacity on the local distribution system uh the substation know what the substation loading is and know what the some line voltages are but that pole mount transformer that's feeding 12 houses what's the load on that you know and so dynamic export limits are being you know uh, developed in australia trying to figure out how to, to be able to communicate those uh, but to be able to do that you need to have knowledge of what the voltage of that pull out transformer is you need to have ders that can communicate you know the utility needs to have a an ems extent a, a derms ems extension that allows them and then there needs to be a kind of a, an ecosystem of aggregators set up to go ahead and be able to obtain that information and send it down um, so I don't want to belabor this point, but I do want to point out that I don't know who pays for the low-voltage distribution system metering to make sure we don't blow up the distribution system when we want to operate in the market. That's a big question. And then let's say we have some of these programs that are sponsored by utilities and want to co-share uh, assets. How do you co-optimize and do a market service without destroying the, the behind-the-meter you know, tariff optimization value? No one's co-optimizing those. They're co-opting but not co-optimizing yet and then finally what does this the der specification look like if a utility says okay you know we got the whole ecosystem kind of set up and just need to show up and make sure your ev charger you know solar battery system thermostat does this is it is it ieee 2030.5 is that enough you know i'm going to pause right there because these are all the things I think that we're going to work to solve in the next you know, year or two. Yeah, and while sure. it sounds, sounds great to have you know, free
1: open market access, these are the real obstacles. So Ryan, you've had a, a front row seat to the rapid evolution of storage, in particular battery storage coming onto the system. How do you see the acceleration of storage you know, playing more of a role with grid flexibility in the dramatic scale up of of the decarbonization of the system that just is coming right up around the corner?
2: First, we needed to have mature technology and mature batteries. And so they were technological solutions. Uh, but now what I think we're going to see is a whole bunch of business model solutions. Once we can start seeing packages of you know, electric vehicles and batteries and solar being put together at a good price and customers are interested and willing to buy it, you know, and it represents decarbonization also, Um, you know, I think we're going to see energy just taking a much more of a front row seat in people's minds, Um, or at least, you know, their participation. Their participation is basically going to be about as easy as them choosing how they buy their next car, Right. Hmm. And so I think we're going to see a a lot of just really interesting business models. Um, And I think they will be regional, um, but I think they're also going to need utilities uh, participation in that too. So I think they're also out there uh, really looking at how to increase the value proposition of these assets by working together. So ability to deploy batteries, build the ability to move to local and global uh, optimizations of systems is is going to be key because I think that that's what really unlocks uh, this kind of participatory nature between the you know the, the res, you know, residential commercial assets and the utility um, and I think if done right and they work with it as the electric vehicles grow which I think it could be anywhere from five or ten percent a year uh, moving forward that's a lot of uh, dispatchable uh, capacity.
1: Earlier on, you had kind of thanked the government for its role to support industry in these difficult economic times. Uh, There's a current package, I think they're calling it the sixth uh, recovery uh, legislation being proposed right now. But there is also discussion federally about some focus of infrastructure. Uh, so, So using uh, the economic investment in infrastructure as an economic recovery strategy. So maybe uh, I could get your sense. Just while it's a very timely topic, what would you recommend uh, as far as where those investments go, how they can be uh, best use of capital dollars, and how it can you know continue to revolutionize the the changes uh, that are facing the the electric grid right now.
2: I think. I think since this is like a a message and opportunity from the federal government. Now, farming thinks like, uh, obviously the utility should get their plans going and see, you know, at least run scenarios on what 100, 200, 300% renewable systems look like for themselves. I'll also call out to the mayors, right? There's over 200 mayors which have signed on to say that they want 100% renewable decarbonized energy for their cities. You know, maybe it's the mayors and the cities that start kind of coming up with, with plans, renewable plans. And then they do that work in collaboration with their utilities, right? Because the mayors, they know the granular situation of their cities. They know where the commercial and the, and the, the equity resiliency areas need to be. And I think that's a really interesting, you know, scenario where if we could give the mayors a budget to come up with a, you know, hundred percent renewable energy plan for their city and you get it going. And maybe that looks like a, you know, a deep collaboration with utilities. Maybe it's a you know public-private partnership with multiple entities uh, participating.
1: We could talk at length about the evolution of markets. We didn't really get to dive in deeper on you know the evolution of the VPP that you guys are on the front edge of. But uh, wanted to turn our attention towards just a slightly different topic. Um, how do you inspire and empower the people there at the organization, now which has a broader reach, uh, to bring their best self and, and to deliver the highest results? What are some of, some thoughts that you have as, as to how you bring the best from the folks that you're working with at your organization?
0: Yeah. Uh,
2: that's, a, that's a great question. and you know, there's, We've probably had hundreds of employees that have worked with us over the years. You know, I have one interview question. And it used to be really hard because when we started Jelly 10 years ago, you know, trying to dream of how to get to a 100% renewable energy system and world was so far off. Maybe we would do it in two or 500 years, or maybe we wouldn't, right? But now it's different. So I ask every person, do they believe uh, we can get to a renewable energy world? And if so, by when? And if so, by how? Big question, right? And I like opening such a big template for someone to think about that and have an impact there because like we, no one knows the answer to this it's like a it's a super creative uh, spot um, we've also built a business around it uh, there's a base you know capability there of solar great but how we move that into energy services everywhere you know, that's a big thing and it's probably going to include all companies and all utilities and all people so you know I think like uh, giving that bit of uh, artistic freedom, is really inspiring for people. It allows them, you know, to kind of really manifest their own self-drive um, to put new ideas forward, not to be afraid to kind of like look at new ideas. At the same time, we're doing super cutting-edge stuff.
1: Well, Ryan, thank you for being on with us. Uh, the The Biden team sure thinks the the full clean energy uh, uh, potential is coming in the next fifteen years, and if if there are companies that are going to be on the front line of, of providing that capability uh we know honwa q cells and all the solar storage optimization and the new uh wave of uh, integrated solutions are going to be coming from you all and we're really excited to see how those how those uh come to come to bear thanks for being with us on our on our session today thank you bryce and thanks to great forward for having me on. i really appreciate it
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Grid Forward Chats, our podcast series with industry leaders on what's driving grid modernization ahead. Check out our website at gridforward.org to learn more about our podcasts, virtual events, becoming a member, and our mission to promote grid innovation and accelerate modernization across our region.